0: This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. I had someone uh, send me a text some time ago. This person, none of you know who this person is, so I'm not divulging any confidence at all. But I just put in my introduction here, the text. So I want to read it to you and make some comments. We're continuing our series on emotions, let's not be deceived. Uh, this morning's message is God is still sovereign. And what we've established so far is this. God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible clearly says that God made man in his likeness, in the image of God. Adam and Eve made in the likeness of God. All of us came from Adam and Eve. We were all made in the likeness of Adam, who was made in the likeness of God. So that's the reason that you and I have a spirit and a soul in our bodies Our spirit is where our consciousness is, where our intuition is. And listen to this. Our spirit is where we can commune with God. But the only way to commune with God is to have His Holy Spirit living in you. It's much like in our own human way of explaining things, it's like a GPS being connected with a satellite. It's either connected or it's not. And so we're made in His likeness. That's why... We're higher than the animals. That's why we are able to relate with one another, love one another, care for one another, hurt with one another in these things. The reason we desire relationships is because God is a relational God. The reason we're the way we are as man, whether a person who has Christ in them or not, is because we're made in the likeness of God. We're special. We really are special. And so we have our earth suit, our bodies, and they're going away, our spirit and our soul, the immaterial part of us, are eternal. It goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. We should be feeding, we should be nourishing the immaterial part of us and paying far less attention to our physical bodies and our personal appearance in these things. So someone sent me a text, and uh, I went back and forth with them. I didn't put my response, but I'm just mainly uh, reading their text. And this is how it goes. This may be a stupid question. I get these all day long every day. This may be a stupid question, but is it possible that I could have been saved for a long time since I was 12, but not actually known who I am in God? That is what's ailing so many people. People are struggling. I'm not sure that I'm saved. They're trying to find an identity. They're trying to find out who they are. And so I had some responses, and I basically I said that, yes, very well, you could be born again, but because you've never been discipled, you don't know the basics. You don't know who you are. As far as the likeness of God and the image of God, which I've talked about for several weeks, never heard those kinds of words before. So this person goes on to say, so... I've known, and she put known in quotation, so I've known what the Bible says I am and what I'm not, but those truths have never been true for me in my life. Now think about that. If what the Bible says about you and me is truth, even if emotionally we don't either understand it intellectually or emotionally be able to receive it, it does not alter the truth, correct? Correct. So I've known what the Bible says I am and what I'm not, but those truths have never been true for me in my life. And my whole life, I've only ever trusted in God when it matched up with what I thought was best. I don't really, quotations, I don't really feel that those truths apply to me yet. But I know they do, and I am praying about that. I really am feeling now like I'm a baby in my faith, and I'm starting all over again. Almost like I never even really knew the truth. I know God has been with me this whole time, though, because I can see how he has pursued me all these years. I do like those illustrations. I sent some illustrations. I keep them in my phone, and I can just send them off to people. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Maybe if I use pictures, we could get out of here a little earlier. <laughs> she said, I do like those illustrations. It's funny that it seems so simple. But listen to this. But understanding it and it resonating in you is so hard. And for me, requires a day-to-day reminder right now. She's a lady, and what's got her seeking to know more is she's got a baby. Something about children will do something to you, amen? Now, she used the word resonate, and I use that word. It resonates in my heart, or resonates in your heart, I'll say that. What does that word mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary simply says to affect or appeal to someone in a personal or emotional way. You know what she was saying? She was saying I don't really think I ever really knew that much in God's Word. And what I do know, I'm not feeling it. And that's the reason I'm doing this whole series. It is a major, major issue. A lot of the reasons people doubt their salvation, it has nothing to do with how many scriptures they got memorized, or how many Bible studies they've been a part of, or their fascination with history. That has nothing to do with that. If we can't emotionally receive what God's Word says about us, we'll almost begin to think that maybe it's not true for me, and that's what she said. But if the Bible says it, God says this is true of you, who you are, what you have in Christ Jesus. Even if I don't feel this way, it does not mean it's not true. And we have to keep walking in it, Trusting God until our mind is renewed. So not only do we know it, but we feel it. I never forget being at Mid-American Seminary. And boy, just as green as green could be. I remember there was a couple of professors, so intelligent, knew the Bible so well. But all us seminary students felt like you can't get close to that guy. And none of us really wanted to have a relationship with them because they just were unapproachable. And I believe what I just described is true of those two men. They're not there anymore. I believe it's true of them, and I believe it's true of many of us as Southern Baptists. A lot of times we just simply don't know what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. Sometimes we've been through the teaching, and we just haven't been able to emotionally receive it. The word really, the better word, is appropriated to appropriate what God has shown us in his word. And you say, what stops me from appropriating and enjoying all that I am in Christ? I want to tell you what it is. It's damaged emotions from the time we were babies up to the present. All of us have damaged emotions. Those emotions can block all the things that we memorize, all the things that we read, and there seems to be this great gulf between us and God. And I can tell you this. It's not God. He has not moved one iota. God is immutable. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our problem is we're fickle. We do not always walk by faith, and we're so busy with things that are passing that we can hardly concentrate not only on basic things, we can't concentrate on the Word of God. We're bouncing from one thing to the next instead of settling ourselves down and opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit of God. I want to read again Ephesians 1.18. And this is my prayer. Every morning before I come out here, this is what I've got in my mind and my heart. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to have true spiritual insight into God is what Paul is talking about. And so my prayer is whatever it is that blocks me or blocks any of you from seeing what maybe you've never seen before, I pray from uh, these Sunday morning messages and other things we do at our church, life groups, one-to-one discipleship, that you'll begin to see what God says in his word. Now, the message God is still sovereign. Here's a short definition of the sovereignty of God from Norman Geisler. He says this, sovereignty is God's control over his creation. That creation that can't be measured. Sovereignty is God's rule over all reality. So with God's sovereignty firmly fixed in our minds, he's over all creation, he's over all reality. With that in our mind, let's read Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Now listen to what Paul says to the church at Rome. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together. My friend, listen, if God created the heavens and the earth, God can cause anything that he desires for you and me, he can cause it to happen exactly when he wants it to happen. Number one, reasons we doubt God. What are the reasons we doubt God? In that text that I read, I believe you'll see what's holding this woman back, what has held her back, I believe you'll see in these reasons here. What are the reasons we doubt God? What causes us to doubt God, sovereignty. That Listen, ultimately God is in control. He knows everything. There's nothing he can't know. What causes us to doubt? God is absolutely in control. Well, one thing is this, and this is hard for us as Americans. One thing is this, self-sufficiency. We can feel very self-sufficient in America because so much money, so much infrastructure that we have Things seem magical here when other foreigners come here to these shores. They say, this is magic. I used to pick up people from the airport for Stephen Opford's ministry, and a lot of uh, guys who would come over with special scholarships were from Ghana, Africa, and uh, other places, Kenya, Nairobi, and other places. And then when they would come, they would just look out the window It kind of reminds us of our little dog Lacey when we take her for a ride and she puts her face out the window and she's watching everything go by like this. They just look and they start laughing and pointing and one of the guys told me one day from Africa, he he said, this is magical. This is magical. All the roads are marked. (laughs) Stoplights and all these things. They are just amazed. Self-sufficiency over time causes us not to even reflect and think about the fact that God is sovereign. But not only that, another thing that causes us to doubt God's sovereignty is fear and worry. Fear and worry. You know, I've had some worries here lately. You know, I'm finding that uh, I do know the sovereignty of God. Very much I understand that. But I find sometimes when you're worried about something you're trying to figure out and fix, sometimes the worry takes your gaze upon God and His sovereignty and the fact that He knows everything from the beginning, and instead of saying, can't explain it all, but can flat walk in the midst of it all, fear and worry about life in general will cause us to not be able to just rest in God's sovereignty. It causes us to doubt. You know, God didn't say, I was... God didn't say, I will be. God says, I am. Right now, present tense, whatever you may be struggling with, whatever you may be trying to figure out, no matter what relationships you may be suffering with, whatever it is, God is in absolute control. He already knows all of this. He knew it before you were born. We need you to say, okay, God, I'm just going to rest in you. God is sovereign. God called himself, when Moses was looking at him there in the burning bush, and Moses said to him, who are you? God was speaking to him through this bush. And Moses said, who are you? God said, I am. When he sent him to Pharaoh, uh, he said, well, who am I going to say sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. That is a statement. Some of our celebrities in Hollywood are increasingly using that. They're going to be in for a rude awakening one day when they meet I am face to face. I guess I shouldn't be smiling because it's going to be bad. But I am is saying I'm the self-existing one. I'm the eternal one. I am is saying I'm everything. In other words, nothing could be here apart from the fact that I am another thing. Reason we doubt God's sovereignty is misplaced confidence. And that kind of goes along with self-sufficiency. My position. But you can lose that position. My popularity. People are fickle. You can be popular one day and by noon you can be very unpopular. My beauty. I struggle with that one. Y'all are losing your beauty. I'm not, but y'all are. My money. Look at today's market. But you know what? It could change overnight now. With technology and the media, a tweet can go out and affect the economy. So our money can cause us to doubt God's sovereignty. Another thing is this, a limited knowledge of who God is. A limited knowledge of who God is. And I believe that's what we could see in that text that I read. A limited knowledge of who God is. I just have been so busy. My mom and dad did not take up time with me to show me basic things from God and His Word, and I've been so busy up to the present day that here I am, and I have a limited knowledge of who God is. I've just been too busy. Sporadic in church attendance. More comfortable with lost and carnal people than I have been with those who are growing in the Lord. Proverbs 27:17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The reason I encourage life groups, life groups are always open to you, always. Just pick one and go to it, or hop around. Instead of church hopping, life group hop. Just get to hopping. But the reason I promote those is because if we're not careful, we won't have really any meaningful relationships. It slips up on us. Life gets biased. All of us need meaningful relationships. Iron sharpens iron. People sharpen you. You sharpen people. We need one another. The only way to practice the one another's in the Bible is to actually spend time together. It is impossible to practice on a consistent basis the one another's of the Bible just on Sunday morning only. I mean, we're scheduled here. We're going to be gone just in a few minutes. Involve yourself in a life group. If you don't know anything about them, ask me. I'd be glad to tell you about them. Another thing that I promote a lot is one-to-one discipleship. And the reason I promote one-to-one discipleship is because I know what it's done for me and I watch what it does for others. I got text I can read just this morning of someone down in Mississippi telling me how much one-to-one discipleship meant to him, and he's now discipling so many other people in his church. One-to-one discipleship is simply sitting down and having the realization: you know, I just never ever started with the basics and moved forward. I want to encourage you to involve yourself in discipleship, one-to-one. If you say, "Well, I want to be discipled," ask someone to disciple you. I'm telling you, men and women, ask someone who you know disciples. Ask them, "Would you disciple me?" I guarantee you they'll say yes, and if they say no, you come tell me about it, and we will exercise church discipline. And so a limited knowledge of who God is causes people to doubt God's sovereignty. A second thing is this. I just want us to look for a moment at characteristics of God. Characteristics of God, number two. And I've already mentioned it in my praying, but God is creator. Psalm 24 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. That hangs right behind my desk in my office right here, hangs right there. One of our members gave that to me and every time I see it I think I need to do a whole sermon just on that verse. The earth is the Lord's. We may own a plot of land that our house stands on, or maybe even have cows running on some land. But the bottom line is this, the earth would not even be here if it wasn't for God. And the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And I want to tell you something. Do you believe in being a good steward? Absolutely. Do you not think that God will not take care of what is his? God's going to take care of this earth. He is taking care of it. And I want to tell you what He created you and me, and He's going to take care of us. God is the Creator. But not only that, God is the Protector. We doubt God's sovereignty, and this is what happens. Since I don't have an understanding of who God is, He is the Creator, He owns it all. If we're not careful, we'll be self sufficient in what is His and what we'll leave here. But not only that, God is our protector. We should draw our strength and protection from Him. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him. You You know what trusting is? It's when you sat down in your chair and you trusted that it would hold you up. When you choose to say, I want to turn my thoughts to God who owns it all. I want to turn my trust to God and completely trust him for who I am and all that he has for me. The Lord is my strength and my shield. He's our protector. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. Not only that, God gives us reason not to fear. This is why we need to study our Bibles. I want to encourage you, look at your calendar this afternoon and say, I'm going to study my Bible from this time to this time every day. Put it on your calendar, put an alert, and do not let anything get in the way of that. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, chapter 9, you remember now, he's taken over from Moses. Can you imagine? Man, how you feel that man's sandals? Feelings of inadequacy? Feelings of fear and just the dealing with the people. In Joshua 1.9, God said this to Joshua. He said, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. What? Wherever you go. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5-6. Make sure that your character is. Is free, listen, from the love of money. That's where self-sufficiency comes. That short-circuits your understanding God is sovereign. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. If you're not content with what you have, it will short-circuit the understanding and relying and trusting on God is sovereign. You know, someone said, contentment makes a poor man rich, and anxiety makes a rich man poor. He says, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what will man do to me? You say, well, they may kill you. They may sh- cut your head off. What did Paul say about that? Absent from your head, present with the Lord. I think he said something like that, in New Living Translation, maybe. Characteristics of God. He's the Creator. He's our Protector. He gives us reason not to fear. And God gives us reason not to worry. Worry is like rocking in a rocking chair. You don't get anywhere. And the reason... I know that we can practice the presence of God. Moment by moment, day by day, is because we can worry that way. We just have to flip it back around. Instead of worrying, practice His presence. We had our first monthly power-up men's breakfast here at the church. I challenged the men to practice the presence of God. And we're already getting testimonies for that. We're going to enjoy that next month. We're going to have a testimony time. I've encouraged the men to do this. One minute out of every hour, purposely turn your thoughts to God. One minute out of every hour, purposely turn your thoughts to God. And then, one second out of every minute, purpose in your heart, to turn your thoughts to God. Now, when you begin, it can be a chore. And you'll think, oh, I forgot But if you'll keep on, you'll begin to walk in the Spirit. You can either do that or worry. Choice is yours. So Hebrews thirteen five six tells us. He says, "I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you." So that we confidently say, "The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me?" Now, he gives us reason not to worry. Matthew chapter twenty six verses twenty seven through thirty four. Listen to this. Jesus speaking here, listen to this, boy this is for America right here, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, they do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Think about this. God clothes the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow. You know, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow too. He's going to take care of us in this moment called time while we're on his earth, God's green earth. He's going to take care of these things for us because we're here now. We're going to be gone from this earth. We're going to be in his immediate presence. But he said, don't worry about these things. He said in verse 29, Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly Father, God's sovereignty, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He always has known it and always will know it. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That text I read to you, I promise you, if this lady will continue moving forward in spiritual growth. She's taken her mind away from these things in the world. She's turning it to the kingdom of God. I can tell you this. She is going to realize that all these things that she worries about will be added to her as she lives life. Verse 34, Matthew 26. So, you know, that's real popular now to say so. It's like there's just ongoing narrative or story or something. So. Jesus was way ahead of all of us. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then, God is conforming us to the image of Jesus. God is in absolute control. He's sovereign. But when we are self-sufficient, or if we are so busy we can't meditate and contemplate who this God is so that we have less anxiousness because God is in control, God will provide. We're doubting the sovereignty of God. And when we read His Word, we see the characteristics of God and it gives us hope. And emotionally, we become whole. We worry less. We depend on God more. And all the while, this is what He's doing. He's conforming us to the image of of his son Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine, for those whom he foreknew, remember God is sovereign, he already knew that he would put a earth here, and all the other planets, and he knew he would people the earth. For those whom he foreknew, talking about you, because you're here, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now how does God do that? It ain't always easy. Amen? You know, Manly Beasley used to travel about and and teach on faith. He'd go from church to church teaching on faith, just trusting God. And he had one particular sermon everybody wanted to hear him preach, and the title of it was Heavenly Sandpaper. Part of God's conforming you to the image of Jesus in me, it feels like sandpaper sometimes. Amen? You ever feel that way or is it just me? God conforms us to the image of Jesus, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. But for far too long, preaching has been that God is angry when He's conforming you to the image of His Son. He can't be. Why? Because God is an all-knowing God. He already knows everything that you'll ever think, say, or do, right or wrong. And knowing that, He said, He will be born, she will be born anyway, in spite of them, and they'll be born on earth, in this state, in this city. So how can you anger an all-knowing God? I tell you what we can do. We can grieve Him and quench Him by the way we are. See, those are love terms. So Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 talks about the potter and the clay. And you can use this uh, analogy here to talk about how God conforms men you to the image of Jesus. In verse 1 of Jeremiah 18... The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Now you think about the potter. He sits there at the potter's will. That's God who's sovereign. And the earth is his. And everything on the earth, including us, is all his. And he's the potter. And his desire is to make you and I like Jesus. And so there the potter who is God sits there at the potter's will. He spins it. That lump of clay is a picture of me and you. Born, dead in our trespasses and sins. And even after we're saved, we find ourselves not being what Christ would have us to be. And so what does God do? God dips his hands in the water there, and then he begins to spin that wheel and that lump of clay just spinning around, and what is it? He touches it. He touches it. He squeezes it. Do you ever just feel God squeezing you? He's not mad. He's not angry. He's making you like Jesus. I mean, it's hard. Can I get an amen on that? How's that working out for you? I say this often because I like it. Nobody likes braces on their teeth. It makes them sore and beautiful. Braces make our teeth sore and beautiful. Life in general makes us more like Christ if we'll only respond God's way to those hard things. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Third and last thing is this. I see the reasons we doubt God. I see the characteristics of God. How do I rest in God? You know, that text that I read, that's what she was looking for. I'm beginning to realize that I don't know things, but I'm seeking a rest in God. How do you do this? First thing is this, thank him. Thank God. It is certain that God is and will always be bigger than any of your circumstances that you're in. Just thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for creating you. Thank Him for what He's given to you. Psalm 139:16 through 17 says, talking about the fact that you're even here and have a body. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book, we're all written... The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. I believe God's thoughts of of us as individuals are precious. Our problem is because we don't know some things. We've never been discipled, never spent time in His Word. We don't always see ourselves the way God sees us. Precious in His sight. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Oh, rejoice in the Lord always. But what about when things are not going well? How do you rejoice when you're in trouble that you don't like to be in? My dad always taught us, you just keep on rejoicing until you come out of the trouble. I never forget, I had an aunt tell my dad one time, Curtis. You don't believe that, do you? How can you say praise the Lord when things are coming apart? And I'll never forget. My dad said, Dorothy, you just say it and you trust him the same way you trusted him for salvation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit Be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. That's the Holy Spirit, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, do this right here. It's special. Start doing this immediately. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what does he say do? Dwell. When you think of dwelling on something, you ever been with someone who harped on something (laughs) and just dwelled on something, flip it and dwell. On these things, he lists right here. Flip it. Dwell on these things. He says in verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And listen, in the New Testament, we have Paul's epistles, and they're short. You can read his epistles. Some of them are less words in the whole chapter than your morning sports page. Begin to read just these epistles and begin to apply what you read to your life. And so how do you rest in God? Thank him and trust him. Just like you trusted him to save you, trust him for the moment by moment and the day by day. And I'm learning this all over again in my life. Psalm 27 says this. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the, what? Name of the Lord. When the Bible talks about the name of the Lord, it's talking about His character, who He is, His attributes. There's only one way we're going to know these things is to dwell on the Word of God, practice His presence, have our mind renewed, which affects the soul and the emotions. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and he shall bring it to pass. I read in a commentary years ago where it says, Commit your way. That is your day-by-day living. I'm just committing it to you, Lord. He says, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it. You say, What is it? Your way. He'll bring it to pass. And it's the Lord's way when you commit it to him. In other words, this is the picture. In life, God's way for you is like a highway Let him cut the highway of your life. Don't cut it yourself. It'll cause a whole lot of anxiety. Isaiah 40, verse 31, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You ever seen an eagle down in his nest? You can watch documentaries on this. You can YouTube it. And they're down in their nest, you know, their wings and everything folded up around them. And then they decide, I think I'm going to get out and go hunt. So there they are in that nest. And uh, they don't take a run and jump or anything. They just unfurl their wings and stretch them out. And then the wind just comes underneath and just carries them out of their nest. When you and I choose to walk controlled by the Holy Spirit, it is that same way. He carries you along life's highway, and He cuts the path for you. Even when you can't see down the highway and you sure wish you knew, He is ever-present. Amen? So we wait on the Lord, and the Holy Spirit lifts us and carries us. We surrender to Him. Ask God to help you give up control of your life. F.B. Meyer a great writer of long ago, some Christian classics. He said this. He said, God, I am not willing to let you control me, but I am willing to be made willing. That might be your prayer. And then renew your mind. Allow God to continue renewing your mind each day as you walk along with Him. Remember, how you think determines your next action, determines how you feel. How you think Determines the actions you'll take because of what you're thinking and that'll determine how you feel. I close with Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Let young people listen to this. Either God's going to conform you or you can mark it down, this world will conform you. It will be one or the other. Paul is saying under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying do not be conformed conformed to this world. But instead he said, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. The battle is in the mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The greatest way you can renew your mind, first and foremost, personal devotions in the morning with God. Number two, be careful the people that you're close friends with. If they can't say one thing about God, if they don't seem to have an ongoing relationship with God, you need to lead them to Christ. Spend time with people who sharpen you and encourage you in the Lord. I encourage you, be part of a life group, either here or somewhere, have a supper club or something. Get together with people who will encourage you along. Enjoy one another and spend time with them. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.